Find Cody Willard and Brian Gallo at Scudify. See all of Cody's trades and his latest positions at tradingwithcody.com. Whoa, no boo, ho, we get a clue, yo, do I blew your mind from to you to Soho, Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Souls, get around like hobos, yo, we be tearing it up, and you gon' get it, how you giving it up, you giving it up, you living it up. This is Cody Underground, I am Cody Willard, and today I have another very special guest for you guys, I have Brian Gallo, whom you can find on Scudify, and who you will find out today is one of the smartest overall tech investor strategist, growth and strategist kind of person you'll ever meet. Brian Gallo, welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Cody. It's an honor. It's an honor to be here. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, so I'm excited well, to uh, be here. I, I appreciate it. And I'm a, I've really become a fan of yours over the last year and a half of following you on Scudify and Tell us a little. Give, give us a better introduction. What What do you do? Uh, and, and you know, if you need to even include the names of the firms, if they're if appropriate, please. Sure. And um, I've, I've, I like to consider myself a contrarian. Um, and one of the contrarian things that I've come up with recently is that if if you have an elevator pitch, which would describe everything you do in like a minute or so, you're you're not doing anything. Okay, so you're, you're not doing enough types of businesses. You're not doing enough types of things. So uh, to describe it quickly, probably couldn't do that, but uh, I can say that I'm an angel investor right now, and the background is very Wall Street. Um, I came up in the back office, uh, not even the back office, like the back office of the back office uh, in New York, and Ended up at Merrill Lynch. I've worked for Peter Schiff at Middle Pacific Capital. Um, most recently, before I went off on my own, I worked at Wedbush, which is a great technology broker investment bank um, in Los Angeles. And we were huge in Facebook private shares. Um, and that's kind of how – I mean, I've been following you for years prior to that, but that's kind of how we connected when you – kind of called that bottom and got long in 2012, I think that was. I think that um, might be about right. When they came public just a, about a month later, when the stock had crashed from 35 to 20 and then on into the teens, I really started getting aggressive and building it. But today's about you. And so tell us, that logic of sort of being an angel investor in Facebook, if you'll, first of all, describe a little bit further what you're saying. Were you guys able to buy some Facebook shares from the private market before the company came public? Am I understanding what you were saying correctly? Yeah, well, let's, um, let me give credit for credit to my, my boss at the time, Cyrus Perasa. Um He went to Redbush. Um, he ran equities there, and the, his first order of business was to go see a, very, a brand new company in New York called Second Market um, and to see what they were up to. And basically what they were doing was entering this brand new market of private shares, which is not, it's, it's, it's the, the, the way investments go is it's usually angel investment, venture capital, and then right before IPO, and because of the tech wreck and Sarbanes-Oxley, companies are staying private for much, much longer now. And so there became this window of time where, 
venture is pretty much done and the company's not ready to IPO. And there are many, many employees at these companies or ex-employees that are looking to liquidate. And we offered liquidity because we had an incredible we had incredible investor demand for Facebook. Well so how did you how do you locate the people, you know, I mean that's the whole point of going public is that then the brokers can make markets and the market makers can trade those shares and find buyers and sellers and match them up and how do you guys then track down those employees or ex employees from say a Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is that might be about to come public? But some of those guys, like you say, I mean, they want to cash out. They're looking to get their liquidity event and hedge their risk as soon as possible, some of them. So how do you how did you locate that? It's, it, it's helping in California, that's for sure. Um, and it's just like everything else uh, on Wall Street's relationships. So, I mean, it's I... It's who you know. I, it's who you know. And I actually, you know, when I worked for Merrill Lynch, I was working in... Menlo Park. So okay. we all had relationships going uh, a long ways back. And the, the how would you, uh, by the way, for people for, for people that don't know yeah. what you mean by Menlo Park, would, that, okay. would you just describe that as BC tech capital of the world the, or the something? Mecca. Mecca. Absolutely. Beautiful. It's the, yeah, it's the angel uh, and venture capital Silicon Valley. Menlo so, Park. Exactly. So let's shift gears a little bit from the past here and talk about the present. And what do you, what's your approach then? I, I find it fascinating. You've written a couple of articles called uh, Trade Like a Venture Capitalist. And I'll just let you sort of describe what that is to give people an overview of how you approach the markets. And then I'll drill down with some more specific questions, please. Okay, great. Um, I I came up as a retail stockbroker, okay? So I am very familiar with trading and what kind of like the high net worth guy or gal is looking for. And what I noticed was that, and this is, you know, you're a big fan of Nassim Tlaib as well, the risk assessment is just not there, right? They're using standard deviations. They're using risk models that are not appropriate for stocks. Bottom line, any stock investment you make can go to zero, right? Most traders and even long-time Wall Street people don't get that, right? Venture capitalists get that. Therefore, their model, in their model, the returns must be adequate to compensate for many of their ideas going to zero. Um, and I feel, because of the complete miscalculation of risk across the board, that that model, the angel model, the venture model, and there's other reasons for this as well, with respect to day-to-day -day management and not having to make decisions regarding something, um, that... I think that's really the only model that I want. I mean, you know, your listeners have to find the model that works for them and their personality, but I actually think that the venture model is the least risky and offers, of course, the most upside. So walk us through, then, a few model names. I know, you know, you own Tesla, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, Whole Foods, 
um, what's the recurring theme and 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 give us some overview of uh, how you approach the, this. Great. So the and this is this is straight out of the venture handbook from Peter Thiel, Mark Andreessen, the greatest, you know, right now the hottest money in the in the world. Um, the first thing is because they realize a lot of their ideas will go to zero. They are prepared to take to ride every idea they make to zero. There's no stop loss in venture. Therefore, every deal they look at must at minimum, at minimum, give a 10x. That's not 10%. That's 10 times. Hopefully 100x or 1,000x or 2,000x like Uber. And that's the holy grail. Of course, there's probably not going to be another Uber, but that's what people want, at least that opportunity. So, in the fastest moving industry in the world, technology, of which I know you're a big fan, you have to bet on teams. You have to bet on people, on talent, because the, the world is moving too fast to be concerned about a product. The product will change. The product always changes. I mean, just look at Facebook's pivot from uh, desktop to mobile. Why were they able to make that pivot? And some say they made that pivot a little bit late because of Mark Zuckerberg. He's one of the greatest CEOs of all time. How many pivots has Apple made? Apple has made, Apple seems to make a pivot, well, since, since Steve Jobs came back, they've invented five or six products that have revolutionized the world. So it's all about team, 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 team. And most importantly, with respect to, to that team is, generally speaking, the, we look for founder-led companies still. So if we're in the public equity market, we want to have companies that are, continue to be run by the guy that invented the company in the first place. You talked about, you know, writing these things either zero or ten times or a hundred times. What's the exit strategy? Is there any exit strategy when you have a hundred times? Do you sell the stock? If the founder leaves, do you sell the stock? And or do you take any profits along the way? Do you take a 20% off when the stock's doubled or anything like that? Well, the, the great thing, one of, one of the great things that, uh, one of my, one of, another guy I follow, Tim Ferriss, talks about with, 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 venture or angel investing is because of the lack of liquidity in the first year or two or, or three even, they're really, it, it, it's, there's, you don't have to make those types of decisions, right? You don't have to decide, oh, I'm going to trim a little bit. This is looking a little bit softy. Um, it's just you don't really have that option. Um, with respect to stocks that are public, um, not very good at that. I've never really been good at timing stuff. So they're really we hope to own companies like they used to own companies fifty years ago, a hundred years ago. We hope to own them forever and pass shares on to our heirs. Um, that said, if a founder leaves, if there's something not cool with the accounting, um, that would be a red flag for us. But more often than not we value loyalty and we're sticking with the teams that we pick and we're willing to ride the tough times because what we've seen and and found is that, you know, the greatest companies 
of all time, their stocks get hit all the time. They get cut in sure. half. Sure. I mean, I, I, people ask me all the time about like Apple and say, Cody, are, do you put a stop loss or when do you cry uncle if Apple goes against you? And my, I always tell them, you know, I mean, I'm up. I actually am up a hundred times, 129 times at this point on Apple since I first bought it, and. I've taken profits along the way here and there, but I have never stopped myself out of it entirely and never sold it because it's being pulled back. I buy when the stock goes down because if I ever stop myself out, out even at a 20, 30, 40% stop loss, that thing's dropped 50, 60% several times over the last 13 years since I owned it. How many positions do you own right now, Brian? I would say that the... 99% of our wealth right now are in three startups that you've not even heard of yet. But I, would you, can I name them? Say that last part. There, I would like to, can I, can I tell you what, there are three startups that you've not heard of. They're iPhone apps, all three of them. Oh, can please. I, I mean, this is, okay. uh, Brian Gallo and trying to get wisdom from you. So if you got, if you can impart wisdom and insight, please tell us all about them. Well, I'm not sure these are wise investments, but this is where all our money is. And we have, we do have, we do own, we do own the seven public equities that I talk about a lot at Scottify. Um, but the the bulk of our net worth now is in uh, a startup called Roll, another one called Promise, and another one called Styled, and they are. There's a little bit more information about all of them on my website, bgallo.com. And I don't want to pitch these companies here. I don't think this is the platform for it. But um, we are full-on angel investors right now, and that's where we're focusing on wealth. How do you – and are you – you've got other people's money in a fund that they are allocating as part of their aggressive part of their portfolio? That, or is, yeah, is, is it, yeah. Please, you know, just to yeah. give some context to what you're talking about, it's not like you're running your own money exclusively, 99% in these three companies. This is people's, oh, you yeah, know, wealthy no, we people risk money. We have we have a group, and I, I um, I prefer, I, I again, I'm coming up from the Merrill Lynch where you had 200 clients, and I, that's definitely not it. We, I have partners. I have partners in my LLC, um, and yes, they, they, you know, all of them were former clients, um, but the way I like to approach money management is I don't like the traditional hedge fund uh, model or even the, the Wall Street model of, hey, give me your money and I'm going to decide what to do. I, I want partners in my deals that know, that do their own due diligence, know exactly what deal they're getting into, and so I, all of my offerings are a la carte, so to speak. Uh, you know, I've, I, I have a partner that I just spoke with this morning from New York that, you know, he's in three out of the six things that I've done in the past few years, you know. So uh, it, it's, it's very much uh, – and that takes a lot of pressure off me as well um, because, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of money management really, when you get down to it, is so that they can blame you when things go wrong. And I don't right. really, I don't. Right. <laughs> well, and, I, and, I, I some, don't... and it's often justified when the sell side blows someone up, you know, and doesn't manage risk well. Tell us a little bit, if Absolutely. I could, drill down, Brian, a little, I mean, picture the guy, you know, the vast majority of our listeners are retail traders and investors out there. They're trying to learn how to become a 
more successful guy and build some of their wealth. And also just sort of look over their career and make sure they got enough when they save when they retire. How how do you personally manage your own wealth? How much do you have allocated into your fund versus bonds versus savings versus real estate, if you're comfortable talking about that at all? I am I am totally comfortable talking about that, but I I would say that as a, when I was a you know I, I still consider myself a fiduciary, but when I was an actual fiduciary at a, at, at these brokerages that I worked for, or I'm not even sure if I was actually I probably wasn't there, but I acted as as one. I, I do as I say and not as I do. I mean have have a I, I'm big on the the barbell, the Nassim Tlaib barbell. Thing, which is like literally 80 or 90 percent in like cash or gold or cash-like instruments, and then and then like a small amount, 10, 20 percent in the riskiest stuff you can do, right? Like angel investing or right. or something that you're, you're you're fascinated with, but so that when when and if you do blow up, you're you know you've got a huge cash cushion. Well, yeah. and this is what you're talking about, by the way, that the traditional risk management model on Wall Street is doesn't even really exist because their assessment of, hey, risk management is 20% bonds, 40% stock, 10% cash, 10% commodities, you know, that technical uh, algorithmic look at a spreadsheet or, you know, whatever you were trained by the Series 63 wrote memorized test stuff. I, I cut you off though. Were you about to say something on that note? No, I mean that's that's it. I think there's a, I, I would really encourage your your listeners to read everything by Nassim Taleb because it it just eviscerates the whole Wall Street and risk model. And, as, as I would and say, really, it would be Nassim Taleb. And just to clarify, people, we're talking about the guy who wrote the Black Swan books. Just Google Black Swan and you'll find this book and read anything by the author. Um, exactly. We're you know we're bumping up. I wanted to talk to you for twenty minutes, and we're about nineteen okay. to it. And oh, uh, wow. I'd love okay. to invite you back, maybe even next week, to talk further because I don't think we got covered everything I wanted to. But give us a walk, a, a parting shot here. What's the most important thing that people should think about? Question um, out there in Wall Street traditional thinking. Well, I I would I would just really question everything, and especially especially look, just know what the biases are out there, okay, especially within the finance media. A lot of media is looking to scare you. Don't be, don't be scared, okay? There's too much fear out there. I believe we are in a very, very, very early stage. Well, not, that's a little too many varies. I'm <laughs> bullish. I'm more bullish. I'm more, I'm more bullish than most. Have a plan, stick with your plan, and the plan will come from knowing yourself, knowing how you react, how you respond when the deal goes sideways. Because all great deals at one point or another will go sideways. So it's not whether or not that happens, it's how you respond to it when it does. Brilliant insights and wisdom today from Brian Gallo on Cody Underground, the podcast. You guys, like we talked about at the beginning, you can find Brian Gallo daily putting up his actual publicly traded stock investments and ideas, putting his mouth where his money is, his money where his mouth is, 
right on Scudify on the Scudify apps for iOS, for Android, and Scudify.com, of course. And as well, Brian, is there anything you'd like to plug about bgallo.com and or the management firm that you're involved with? I, I no, I'm 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 good with clients and all that. I'm I'm very happy, but I I would highly recommend um, your listeners, and I'm sure they already are there, but to come on to Spotify and to participate. Social media, and this is maybe our next our next maybe we can talk about this next week is Absolutely. wide open for you to network with whoever you want. I met Cody on Twitter. Okay, that is amazing. That is amazing to me, and that is so incredibly wide open. And I'm happy to discuss strategies on how to do that with you some other time. Amen to that, Brian. I, I like to tell the story. You know, I, the way I got my real foot in the door and got an advantage on Wall Street was emailing blindly Jim Cramer back in 98, 99, and over the course of a year eventually getting a chance to write for thestreet.com. And that is the flip of the flip it of – it's not who, what you know, it's who you know, because in today's day and age, with social media, you can reach out to anybody. You know everybody. You reach out to Cody, you reach out to Brian, reach out to Jim Cramer. You guys listening, you guys do it. Build social capital. That'll be our topic next week. Brian Gallo, thanks so much for joining me. Perfect. Great. Thanks, thanks so much. a lot. I really appreciate this. This is incredibly insightful. Spit a little ditty about how did he did it, what he doing to his artists and about the way he living. Take a hit, make a hit, keep a tunnel vision. Sign a deal with the fans, go to music prison. Who believe you a prophet when you enjoy your music? Sell advertisements and profits. Whoa, well, new boo, ho, we get a clue. Yo, do I blew your mind from to you to Soho? Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Souls. Get around like hobos, yeah, we be tearing it up. And you gon' get it, how you giving it up? Why you giving it up? Live, live, living. Why you living it up?